Wonder how that woman came up with her cool idea and turned it into a business? Listen in to find out how. Welcome to Women Inspired. I'm your host, Linda Ugalo, and on this show, I speak with changemakers, artists, healers, and entrepreneurs about what fires them up and how they put their dreams into action. I'm really excited to have on my show today someone who is a specialist in how we speak. Welcome, Christy Barb. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So you work with people who are foreign, uh, foreign to the English language. Mm -hmm and help them to be understood, is that correct? Yes, I'm a speech coach that specializes in foreign accented English. Um, they could have a different type of English. There's many different um, Indian English, even Irish English is difficult for many American English listeners. So it's the influence of another language or another English that is making them more difficult to be understood by um, their listeners. Wow. So. What is it that makes an accent difficult to understand? First, everybody has an accent and they uh, don't realize it, they don't notice it until they're, it's like a, a fish doesn't know he's wet till he's out of his bowl. <laughs> so when people travel, they go someplace else and then people point it out that you sound different, you sound funny. So the English that they might have learned, especially in another country, um, was totally fine. Everybody was speaking English the same way they were, the way they learned it. And then when they travel, when they go someplace else, um, people, and especially American English is different than British English, Irish English, Australian English, then they're more made aware of the differences in pronunciation, intonation, maybe vocabulary use, and they're encountering um, difficulties and challenges that they never experienced before. So a lot of it can be very emotional and psychological that they thought they were doing great, and they, they might have been. They might have gotten um, very high scores on, on written, on grammar, on writing and reading, and even the speaking part. But when, boom, they're put in a new environment, a new bowl, and people are pointing out their mistakes and their errors, that can be a big blow to their confidence. And um, it's a mystery. What am I doing differently? What's, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Why don't people understand me? Why do I sound different than native speakers? Others, maybe they don't have that difficulty of being understood, but they notice there's a difference. And so even those people that are no problem, everybody understands me, but they are very analytical minded and they just want to know, what is it? What, what am I doing differently than, than, you're, than you? And if I wanted to bridge that gap, how could I do it? And that's what I can help people achieve. One, an awareness of how do, how do they sound more objectively than their own expectations of themselves and their own experiences with um, unexperienced listeners. I can give them a much more objective opinion of, here's what you're doing, and here's what's different, and here's how you can bridge that gap and teach them how to analyze themselves. Wow. So I, I would guess that every, like a person from a particular culture or language has their own challenges when it comes to pronouncing American English. Mm -hmm. And that would be, let's say, people from Japan or someone from speaking Mandarin or, or German mm -hmm. or whatever. It's, um, is that the case? Definitely. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> it just depends on what their language has that's similar and what their language has that's different. Yes. Okay. And 
It could be individual sounds. Maybe we have different sounds than, than their native language. The TH is a very unique sound to English and Greek. Not many other languages use th, think, or th, that. Um, so individual sounds can change the meaning of a word, and changing uh, think to sink, that totally has a, a meaning change. It could be stress placement on words, which syllable has the correct stress, the syllable. <laughs> you just move that a little bit, and, and that throws the listener. Um, I've worked with um, other speakers that say engineering instead of engineering and that tiny shift putting it at the beginning and a lot of you know other languages especially Indian in English speakers do pronounce it engineering but that little thing threw me off and while they keep talking maybe I'm still caught up on hmm that was different why so it may not interfere with the overall meaning in general but for the listener it's making them do more work Anything that causes the listener to do more work is going to interfere with being understood um, effectively. Mm -hmm. So the stress placement within the word, and then the word within the sentence. Some languages don't need to emphasize with as much high pitch and longer duration as English does. Really, can you give an example of what in how we find that in English? What you just did. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so that, really, you went higher in pitch and you went longer in duration on that vowel, E, really. And if it was a longer sentence, I really love your sweater. I really love your sweater. So those words stand out to me as a listener. If not, if every vowel is equal duration and I really love your sweater. Yes. <laughs> I'm having to work harder to draw out what is the most important information. And people don't notice this as much in person because there's context to help them. But the biggest area of um, difficulty is conference calls. So you don't have the visual and you have multiple people and then there's the delay and then there's mute. There's lots of other variables. But if you're listening for meaning only and it's buried in no contrast with, with um, higher pitch, longer duration, I really think we should do that today. What? <laughs> it went by fast. It went by with nothing standing out compared to, I really think we should do that today. I really think we should do that today. Today stands out and how much you really believe that. I really think we should do that today. Mm -hmm. um, and that can make a huge difference in, in business situations. Wow. Wow, it's so subtle. Yes. Yes. So you're, you're actually able to help people like put in all these, this nuance? The first step is awareness. Do you, do you hear this? So I use a um, computer program called WASP, it's W-A-S-P, and it has a waveform and spectrograph and pitch. And so they can see visually because sometimes it's hard to hear something as new as, can you hear this? Hello, woo, and can you make your voice do it? But if I can show them on the computer, look, you're reaching this frequency, then they have some some visual feedback that I can make my voice do that and know if they've reached their goal. So um, giving them more, more feedback than just can you hear it, can you do it, but this, this computer program is going to tell you, yeah, you reached that level you wanted to reach. That was your goal, was to go higher. And you can also measure the duration. Did it get longer? 
Um, so if they can hear it and they know what the, the goal is, then the next step is control. Can you control it? Can you make your voice do what you want it to do? So even simple imitation is something that I give as an assignment and something people can do anytime, anywhere, without any coach. <laughs> Just have fun with it. Part of it is, is having fun, making sounds, and having new sounds come out of you that you usually don't make. Mm -hmm. um, even if it's imitating somebody else's accent <laughs> and still being respectful for <laughs> everything that includes, but if you just make the sounds and you don't worry about making words and sentences, then you don't have any pressure of pronunciation or grammar or syntax, and you're just imitating the, the sound, the melody of the music, mm -hmm. which is the intonation pattern. Dun, dun, dun. That's my French. <laughs> no words, no sounds, no grammar, just noises that I think sound French. When it comes to me using that and, and speaking something in French, and I can apply that, I'm going to sound better, have a better French accent than I would if I had never even tried or considered. Just consider the melody and making these new noises. And then the third step is analysis. Can you tell if what you produced matched that target? So part of this can be done just by the ear. Do you sound the same? And part of it might be helpful to have a recording to play back at a slower speed. Did you emphasize the same words the same way? If you're focusing on sounds, did you produce the sounds the same way? If you're focusing on intonation, did you reach the same level? You can play them back right after each other. Um, and if you decide, nope, I didn't match the target, now do you know how to make the changes to reach that, that target and to match it? Once people can reach the analysis level, they don't need me anymore because I've taught them how to analyze themselves and to make those changes. And that's what they can keep doing and keep practicing as a lifelong learner. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes I listen to people who are from many different countries, from Ireland, England, Australia, New Zealand, and I sometimes play a game where I, I listen to them and I repeat back what they've, they're saying, mm -hmm. just because I think, well, what does it feel like to speak with an Australian accent? Mm -hmm. And well, let me just try it out. Good. <laughs> That's good. That's what I recommend all the time, is that it should be fun. Uh -huh. And sometimes there's high stakes. Sometimes it's high risk if you make a mistake, and it can be very stressful. So mm -hmm. don't wait until a stressful, important situation, like mm -hmm. an important presentation or an important conference call, before you try a new sound and mm. apply these skills. Yeah. But try it in the most relaxed situations mm -hmm. when you're just imitating a commercial or <laughs> um, finding a YouTube video and, mm -hmm. and, and playing it back and having fun with it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. really the best part of what I do is helping people realize it can be fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that it's also bringing up for me is uh, working on a talk or a story for storytelling or a keynote or some kind of um, uh, a spoken event, you know, a media event. And if I am memorizing a talk, I actually go through it in a very detailed way. So if I'll go sentence by sentence and I'll say it a few times and I s think, well, where do I want the emphasis? Mm -hmm. Not that I'll memorize it for every sentence, but it gives me a, a allows me to become familiar with with that sentence. And then I'll even 
go as far as saying each word with all of the uh, distinguishing elements of the consonants mm -hmm. or the vowels or whatever. And it is fun. Yes. It's good. like a game. Mm -hmm. And it also helps, I think, to bring more variety to our speaking and also, as you say, more understanding because where we put the emphasis mm -hmm. and where we elongate and when we slow down, mm -hmm. it, it brings it gives a chance for more understanding. You're absolutely right. I never really thought about it that way. That's what you're doing is excellent and the same advice I give to, mm -hmm. to other people. And um, a lot of people want to know the, the hard and fast rules. Well, which words should be emphasized? And there are some words grammatically with higher probability, adjectives, adverbs. Um, but really, it's getting people to trust themselves. It's what you think is important. If it's your speech, your presentation, you know what's important and you know what you want the listener to notice the most. Mm -hmm. So I, again and again, I come back to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you want them to hear and to notice? Mm -hmm. And some of the, the challenges are if you're speaking in a, a different language than your native one, these things come naturally to a native speaker, but you might have learned English with more emphasis on the, the written and not thinking about how it's being perceived by the listener. So they might be grammatically correct and, and speak very, um, uh, very convincingly, but if it, it's not engaging the listener and making it easy for the listener to grasp those important words, using, like you mentioned, using some pauses to your advantage for even for emphasis, then those things need to be taught more explicitly and practiced more explicitly until it starts to become more automatic, more natural. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking even if you are not a foreign speaker, these apply. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, for good speakers, for good preparation, yeah, yeah it's good practice. I mean, because part of the reason why I do it is I want my pronunciation to be clear mm -hmm. because I can, you know, there are places where I might mumble or someone might say, what did you say? Mm -hmm for me as well, and I'm native here, mm -hmm. so. Yes, good. How did you get into this? What was your, what, was, what drew you to study? You know, I'm between the areas of speech language pathology and teaching English as a second language. And I think what drew me into that in-between area goes back to undergraduate days when I had a student campus job as a conversation partner with, um, uh, students in the English as a second language program. So I wasn't teaching, I was just a student and these people needed to practice their English so I volunteered, well I got paid student <laughs> wages. But that was my first experience of speaking to people outside of my hometown and my home state and I hadn't traveled and I thought wow this is amazing, I can learn about different countries, I can learn about places I've only seen on the map um, by listening to them and hearing their stories. So I loved that. And then I, I could see the frustration they had of being able to express themselves, and that made me interested in teaching English as a second language. But then they would ask difficult questions, like what's the difference between this sound and that sound? I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Like which sounds um, would you get asked? Maybe even sh and ch. And I'm like, hmm, I never really thought about what makes them different. But now I can tell them, well, they're made pretty much in the same place with the tongue reaching the top of the mouth, but with ch, you're stopping the airflow, pulling your tongue down quickly. You can only make that sound one time, ch. 
and you're not using any vibration in the vocal fold, so there's no, no voicing. So, ch, ch. But when you make shh, the tongue doesn't totally top, touch the top of the mouth. There's airflow over it continuously. So it keeps flowing. Shh. So if you're making an error, if you're making a ch instead of a sh, then the, the variables of airflow, voicing, and placement, you can narrow it down to airflow. You're in the right place. You're using the same voicing which is none, um, but the only difference is you're stopping the airflow. Don't do that. <laughs> there. <laughs> so can you, what, what are some words that we might, people might? Uh, chair and share. Sometimes this is a, a difficulty um, with Spanish speakers, making that sh, ch difference. And once you point out, ah, you only have one thing you need to change. Don't let your, your tongue go all the way to the, the top if you're trying to make a sh sound. And stop the air if you want a ch sound. So those specifics of speech production and even language acquisition, I, I learned in speech language pathology. And so everything I learned in one field, I applied to another and I was really in the in-between area. And I made my own path because there is no drop-down menu for somebody who wants to work just with non-native speakers beyond the teaching of English. The people I work with, they already know English. It's more of the, the fine-tuning, the last step. And it's not typical speech-language pathology working with native speakers who may have trouble producing some of those sounds. But really, it, combining those plus some theater and some um, psychology and, and mixing and taking the best of all those areas that can be mixed together to help somebody, because everybody's personal lives and accents and, and speech is, is very different and unique. So you never know what you're going to need. Mm -hmm. Tell me about some of the success stories. I always ask, what is success to you? How will you know when you're successful? Because I can give you some objective, some quantitative you know, results <laughs> here, you've made this progress. But that doesn't mean anything until you feel successful. And I'm always surprised by, by their answers because the success stories could be I want to order this particular thing off the menu in front of my family at a restaurant instead of pointing to it. Um, lobster roll can be very difficult for Japanese speakers and that was somebody's goal and they did it. That, that feeling proud of I did this, this was something that was, had nothing to do with his wonderful job and the success in his career but that personal satisfaction. Other people um, being the best man and giving the, the toast at, at a wedding. Other people um, doing a successful board meeting presentation that was very high stakes. So professional, personal, it's something that they feel, I can be better at this. I, will, I want to do this. Maybe it's a fear that's holding them back, but once they reach that, that spirals upward, that confidence transfers to the next thing and the next thing. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So who are your clients or students? How do you work? I work with a, a variety of people in a lot of different fields, but the majority come from science-based fields. Computer science, biotech, medicine, finance. Um, a lot of people that have been very focused on the technical skills. And it's the technical skills that got them into the job that made them very successful at their job. But as people move up, 
in their career, they have more and more people management responsibilities. Now they need to train people, they need to represent the company, they need to do much more public speaking than they might have ever imagined when they first started. So I love working with them because they're very analytical minded and sometimes they won't just immediately try something. Um, people in other fields, especially people ask me what's the difference between working with actors and working with other people not in acting. I'm like, because actors try things. <laughs> That's their personality. They're much more willing to just go with it and try it. But the scientists want to know why. <laughs> tell me why. And I'm like, okay, I'll tell you why. And I, I really like, one, being able to answer their questions, and two, um, getting them to that level of, there's no more questions to ask. <laughs> you know why. Now you just have to try it, mm -hmm. and getting them to that point. And that's, that's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. that's, that's really interesting. It wouldn't have occurred to me that someone would like, ask all those kinds of questions before they would be willing to give it a go. I think I gained their trust in mm -hmm. the fact that I appreciate their, their scientific mind and wanting to know the answers and the quantitative measurement of progress. And I, I love doing that with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you work mostly with people in the workplace who, mm -hmm. um, they're already, I, I like the spectrum that I have. Some people are graduate students and doctoral students that are applying for jobs and so we practice for job interviews or if it's a faculty position maybe their, their job talk. And then those who are new to their job, wow they got the job, now what do I do? <laughs> or. I've got a promotion. Now I have to do more than I, than I used to in my previous job. Mm -hmm. Or now they, they are at the very top and people are intimidated to even point out they have problems. But they know I can be better. I know there's differences. I can see the looks on people's faces when they're having trouble understanding me. And just their driven, motivated personalities, they want to improve themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I work with people at all parts of the spectrum, and, and I love that. It's never, it's never boring. So is all of your work in person? No, I do work on Skype. And people don't realize it, but uh, working by video conference has some advantages sometimes. Because working, when I'm looking at the computer screen, if they're looking at their screen and also see their own picture, they have immediate visual feedback of themselves, of how they're moving their lips. And sometimes they will notice it before I will, or Sometimes I don't point out every single mistake we have to move on. They, nope, I see it. I see I didn't, <laughs> I rounded my lips, let's do it again. And that can be really help with progress because they have constant visual feedback of, of themselves and they have mine, my video to compare it to. So sometimes it, it's even advantageous. Mm -hmm. And some cultures don't like you looking in their mouth, they don't want to look at mine when I'm demonstrating where to put the tongue, but with that distance of the, the video camera, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so there are so many layers of understanding to bridge the cultural gap mm -hmm. in terms of even how you share the information. Yes, I, I love working with a variety. Um, sometimes when I was teaching in the university, it would be a majority from, from one country. But now I, I have people from so many different countries, different backgrounds, different languages, and I, I love the variety and getting their perspectives. 
because so many times I learn maybe how to, how to explain something in a different way uh, that if it's helpful for one person, oh, it might be helpful for another. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly learning from my clients. Mm -hmm. What, would you say that there are some uh, languages that have been more challenging to help them bridge the gap into American English than others? For pronunciation? For pronunciation. Based on how difficult um, a lot of American English listeners have, have judged people's accents, I have a hard time understanding that. It's more Vietnamese and, and Thai. Um, Cantonese um, because of there are more differences so there's differences with the sounds how they're producing the sounds there's differences with um, the the rhythm of the the word maybe where they put the syllable stress or the fact that they're equal duration not stretchy like that but dot, 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 dot. Um, and differences with how they express their ideas so you got multiple differences and especially leaving off the final sounds of a word. It's not connecting to the next word. It's not completely finishing if it ends with a consonant. That's going to interfere with meaning more mm -hmm. than, than many other languages that are, even if they're not as similar to English, they may not have as many different variables to overcome. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it a feature in some of these South uh, Asian countries that the, the ends of the words are not Consonant, consonatized? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah, and even, even though we do have those final consonants, sometimes Americans are, are leaving them off or they're connecting them to the next word and making sound changes that don't exist on paper. That's right. So if I say, don't you, that T and the Y together is going to make a ch as I co move my tongue. Don't chew. I'm going to get more lazy with my oo and say ya and say don't cha. But without that final T, with, it's not going to connect to the Y, and then I have Donya. So that's going to create more of a difference and make it sound not even formal, whereas some languages, even if you don't make that connection and make that sound change, don't you, very correct, gives me all the information. Mm -hmm. But with something missing, missing information, I have to work harder. Wow. Yeah. Wow, this is so fascinating. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours just about all the little nuances of, uh, because this is how we communicate mm -hmm. and, and we want to feel like we are communicating well and that people understand us and it's, it is satisfying and it is frustrating when we can't express ourselves freely. Yeah. So that's fantastic work. How, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, my website, adastraspeech.com. I have a contact form. People can contact me to ask questions or schedule a free consultation. Mm -hmm. I also have a list of resources that I recommend the most often for anybody interested in improving their own accent or learning more about it. Mm -hmm. Really quickly, where does Adastra come from? Adastra per aspera, to the stars through difficulty. Um, I got a bracelet when I was back home in Kansas for Christmas vacation, and it's the state motto. And um, in thinking of naming my, my business, I wanted it to represent part of me. This is my hometown, my home state. But I also, I love the to the stars through the difficulties, and I feel like I help a lot of people through a difficult time or a challenging speaking situation to reach a higher level. So it brought it all together. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me.
So as we have been listening, it's so important for us to be comfortable as we speak. And if you have something coming up that you would like mm, a little bit of support on, I have something for you. It's the Fear to Fabulous Blueprint, getting comfortable and confident speaking either on camera or on stage. And you can download it for free at lindayugalow.com forward slash blueprint. Be sure to catch us on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Women Inspired. The show is recorded live in the studios of Bedford TV in Massachusetts. Music courtesy of Sheik Gamin. If you like this episode, please leave a review or comment. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or watch all the TV episodes of Women Inspired with the show notes and links at www.lindayugalo.com forward slash TV.